Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that raise money and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Engage for Good and Selfish Giving. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com and selfishgiving.com. Now, on to today's episode. Hey everyone, it's Joe Waters. I want to welcome you to another exciting episode of Cause Talk Radio. On the line with me, of course, is Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm excellent. Now, such a great summer day. I can only imagine the wonderful weather you must be having in your area. You know, it's actually cut down from the 100 degree weather we had this weekend, which we Pacific Northwesterners do not do good with with that type of weather. So we're happy to see our clouds again today. Yeah, there you go. See, and you know, it's talking about hot weather and just talking about hot people in general. You can't believe who (laughs) we have on the line from Hotlanta itself. We have Molly Ray, who's president of for momentum. What's on what's what's going on, Molly? Joe, you just always amaze me with how you can work in and just weave these, you know, just stitch yep. these things together. Yep. I just I love it. That's right. <laughs> You're very <laughs> kind, Molly. You're always very kind. I appreciate that anyways. But but it was so uh it was so great to see you a few weeks ago at the Engage for Good conference and of course many members of your uh, team were in tow so it's always great to see those people too and uh you know you you folks always play such an active role at the conference uh you know I always hear great things about the things you're talking about and you're actually here today to share some inside research that you started to share in the beginning at only the conference right Molly yeah, so you know what really each year uh for momentum does some sort of practitioner type of survey to understand some of the challenges that we as as social impact and cause partnership practitioners, you know, we we have to we have to deal with some issues sometimes to have successful campaigns. So we try to go in instead of doing another repeat of you know how many consumers like to like to support causes which there's lots of great information mm-hmm. on the landscape yep. about those sorts of statistics we really try to go more from a business to business perspective in you know what are what are we as practitioners dealing with in um executing successful campaigns what did you look at this year so this year um our clients have really asked us over and over and over again if we have any best practices or any ideas about ways that they can work more effectively uh, between the headquarters and their chapters or field locations. It's a, it's a really common pain point <laughs> that I think a lot of us are feeling. And um, so we decided to, instead of just going off the old gut feel, that we would do some surveying with folks in the field and get get their their impact their input on on the topic. And so we got lots of great uh, input. I, I'm really pleased. We actually had over a hundred respondents this year, wow. um, and they represent. Presented, um, yeah, and those respondents because we were trying to get in touch with both the headquarters perspective, but also the chapter perspective. So, of the hundred respondents, they worked at fifty nonprofit organizations, and so we had a nice mix of national staff and chapter staff. We had um, an interesting split that that was 
just really fortuitous. About half of our respondents worked for an organization that operates under one 501c3, and the other half worked for organizations that are the network of independent 501c3s. Mm. And of course, that's one of the big issues, you know, I think there there's a lot of uh, folks that are moving towards this one 501c3 model, and it's a lot of uh, governance nightmares. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice that we were able to hear from both both perspectives. One of the things I really appreciate appreciate about Four Momentum, whether it's at the conference or this great new research, is how creative they are. And this this infographic that I'm looking at right now is no exception about this research. And the term that you came up with for the challenges that these national and local chapters are having is national localitis, which I love. <laughs> I think that's really creative. So tell us what national localitis is and what the symptoms are. <laughs> Well, thank you. I'm glad that you like our our take on it. And yeah, national localitis is something that that most every organization I've ever worked with that has independent chapters has some level of this challenge. Um, And it's just the natural um, yin and yang of you know, national versus the field. And so this is not unique to nonprofit organizations. It happens at companies too. And um, there's just a disconnect between between the two points of view, I guess I would say, right? And mm-hmm. so what we found, what we did is we broke it down into five different steps and stages um, of you know of the of the dynamic. So um, we looked at uh, cultivation. So, mm-hmm. all you know, of course, partnership begins with cultivation. Uh, we've looked at um, stewardship, uh, at revenue sharing, at rights and benefits, and at execution. So, we wanted to uh, try to break down Megan and look at the how national localitis <laughs> is showing up at different parts of the relationship with the company. So what we really found are some good nuggets of information at each of those key points. You know, it's interesting, Molly, you and I both have experience with this too, because we worked with organizations that had field offices. As a matter of fact, you and I at the same time when we were at the Arthritis Foundation, right? But you were at the corporate office, I think at that time, and I was at a local office here in Boston. And then when I worked at Muscular Dystrophy Association, I also worked for a field office. Now, did you ever work for a field office? No, you know, I have always worked at the national level mm-hmm. and um but always tried to be very sensitive yep. like we all think we're doing. I'm putting up air quotes that you can't <laughs> see on the radio. Um but I really think that you know, there's a lot of good intentions, but a lot of the efforts are not be- not breaking through the clutter, if yeah. you will. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Joe, I was going to make a joke uh, before you went on with the rest of your sentence that, you know, when I was at National and you were at the chapter, that was back when you weren't speaking to me, right? So, um, <laughs> I used to say, that, that's this, really... is, this is woman at National Arthritis. Her name is Molly. And she's got an E at the end. I don't know what's wrong with her, but. <laughs> <laughs> I hate her. Right. <laughs> So, um, not the case, Molly, you know, not the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we um, we actually had at the Engage for Good conference, we had a workshop where we did a panel discussion of three folks that had worked at both the national and the local level hmm. um, in their careers so that they could really speak, you know, mm. with, you know, from both 
both sides of the coin, so to speak. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of a lot of experts out there who who can speak to both sides. I can speak more to the national than the local, and um, I think that it's really important that national listen to local more, and that's why we want it to get the the voice of you know, of this into the, into the planning. Mm. And I think something like this is so critical, Molly. I'm sorry, Megan, go ahead. I was just going to ask about some of those things that were manifesting that came up through your research and at the Engage for Good conference in your discussion with these nonprofit leaders, what types of things are coming up as challenges and as symptoms of national localitis? Yeah. So we tried to not only look at what the issues are, but the what can we do about it? Because it doesn't really help just to mm-hmm. just to understand there's issue. We all know that sort of at the at the gut level. We all know, you know, that there is an issue. So what we wanted to do was try to understand where the pain points are, so that we can establish best practices and things that we can do moving forward. So we broke it down into um, four C's, if you will, just trying to. Uh, you know, have a a memory (laughs) trick there. So we've broken them down into cultivation, credit, communication, and collaboration. And let me, let me put a little bit of meat on those bones. So from cultivation perspective, what we found is there's a big disconnect between what national uh, staff report and what chapter staff report with regard to the chapter role in securing national partners. So um, 34% of national staff feel like they're involving the chapters and only 12% of the chapters feel like they're being involved. <laughs> so that that is the you know typical yin and yang. So from a cultivation perspective, um, what we found that further causes an issue is that only, or rather I should say, um, over one-third of our respondents are report that their organization doesn't have any sort of guidelines around cultivation. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and I really wonder if that's true or if it's mm. just a gap in perception. But of course, um, you know, we don't know. What we, what we do know is that, that, you know, a third of the folks check the box that says our organization has no policies. Um, so what we think is that, you know, from a cultivation perspective, you will you will benefit the most if you formalize some very clear guidelines, um, and that you know moving into the the C for credit that you also provide strong incentives to the chapters to be engaged. So share the revenue, mm-hmm. you know, and and when uh, when you are working with a corporate partner that has a headquarters location in a chapter's market. Um, it's highly likely that that chapter is going to have some level of relationship with with mm-hmm. that organization or someone that works for that organization, and so you need to leverage that connection instead of working around it, and you need to reward that relationship by sharing a portion of the of the national proceeds, if you will, with that chapter, um, and really make sure that everyone on the team is incentivized to contribute to building partnerships. Does that, when there's a national partnership and a local chapter, does it, does it, is it not typical for them to share revenue? I found it in my experiences that they did share the revenue, Megan, but Mm. in some ways it was like kind of disconnected. Like there wasn't much, it was almost like that you knew that they were sharing the revenue, but it was all going back to national first. And then at the end of the year, they would just disperse it. And I never felt like there was a connection though, Molly. 
You know what I mean? Like in the sense, like we were doing something on the ground that was going to lead to revenue for us, or even if we did certain things, more revenue. And I think often that's where the disconnect is with national and yeah. regional offices. Yeah. So I found I found the statistics because I wanted to make sure I didn't misquote. Mm-hmm. And this was a big part of our um, focus in our questions, because just like you're saying, Joe, we wanted to understand, you know, what really is happening um, in this revenue share dynamic. And so that's where we found that, um, you know, 20 to 30 percent aren't aware of any sort of sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, but of the ones that do receive a sharing of the revenue, it's typically based on a percentage of the sponsorship revenue. So I believe what you were just describing, Joe, mm. was um, a percentage of overall chapter revenue. Right. Um, and that certainly happened, or an overall percentage of national revenue, I should say. So, you know, all the different sponsorships get, you know, cumulatively added into one big number and then it's, and then it's spread. That's actually not the main way. It is more often it's more often a percentage of the revenue of that partnership. Ah, okay. Um, so, uh, but there, there is a broad mix, you know, uh, of ways that these dollars are being shared between headquarters and chapters. But I think the key message that I would leave you with is that there's no necessarily right or wrong about exactly what the policy should be, mm-hmm. but the Clear messages. There should be a policy right. that is clearly spelled out for 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 both headquarters and chapter to know, um, so that there's no surprises. And that really, you know, kind of leads me into um, our fourth recommendation. You know, the fourth or the third C, rather, I should say, the third, not the fourth, but is around communication. And you know, communication is an issue on lots and lots of topics, but it's alive and well when it comes to effective collaboration between nationals and chapters. Um, we we did a series of questions in the in the research where we asked, uh, we listed some some um, opportunities for enhanced collaboration, and um, we said, okay, so do you uh, do you have this? Um, does it already exist? And if it if it if it doesn't exist, do you want it? Or if it doesn't exist, do you not care? You know, like so so that we could try to get into some best practices because we really want our survey results to be actionable. And what we found, the top two items um, that were that were listed as they don't exist, but we really desire them, were. Um, training sessions, you know, the way we worded it was ongoing headquarters sponsored education or training sessions about partnership opportunities. And 47% of the respondents said, we don't have that, but we wish we did. And then the second topic was a task force. And um, a task force, as we defined it, would be representatives from both headquarters and chapters who are, um, you know, coming together to discuss sponsorship issues, uh, to to develop policies and procedures around partnerships um, and things like that. So those are, are really our two largest recommendations would be to introduce you know, ongoing educational training opportunities and to establish a task force um, so that you can make sure that the voices uh, are represented at the table, so to speak. 
Yeah. And you know, I think what you're making a good point to Molly is a lot of times, a lot of communications at the field office level is too passive. It's, you know, you learn on a portal or you look up this information or you find it somewhere. And I think what people are saying is, no, we want something that's more active. We want that, those training, those education opportunities. We want to be part of a task force so that we can figure out the procedures around partnerships. And that's where I think the real opportunity is, is for field offices to be really active in the process. Exactly. And, you know, another another way that we tried to get at the information was uh, separately, uh, we asked information about job satisfaction, and then we cross-tabulated the satisfaction results, you know, against a variety of different factors so that we could see, you know, what what attributes are contributing to satisfaction and which are detracting from it. Mm-hmm. So, um one thing that we found that was kind of a little surprising was that satisfaction levels were very similar between headquarter and the field. So, you know, there's a similar level of satisfaction. But what we found is that when there is greater clarity, you know, so for those organizations that say, you know, we have policies, you know, and so that means they're aware of them, mm. then the satisfaction levels are are far enhanced. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it doesn't only produce benefits benefits in that one particular sponsorship opportunity, but it also produces benefits across the overall organizational level of morale, mm-hmm. um, which I think is very important. One of the things I was curious about, though, too, is, you know, and, and Molly, you and I both know this, too, is that one of the challenges a lot of national organizations have with field offices is turnover. And and I mm. think one of the things that they need to kind of prepare for in the communications is, you know, let's face the reality that sometimes there is more turnover at the field offices that we would than we would like. Well, how do we address that from a communications perspective so that we can continue to educate people and we don't have that expectation that, well, unless you've been there three to five years, you're not going to be able to figure this out. <laughs> Joe, you know what? I am so happy you said that because I didn't, you know, I didn't think to point this out, but but I really want to share with you a finding about our survey respondents that is going to be surprising based on what you just said because, yes, that is the common sort of assumption. Oh, well, it's because there's so much turnover or it's because of, mm. you know, fill in the blank. We always guess at what they are. Right. But of our 100 plus respondents, mm-hmm. 50% of them have been in the field more than 10 years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and an additional 27% had been in, 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 uh, in this profession six to 10 years and 14% three to five years. So only 8% of our respondents had worked in the field less than two years. Oh, very good. So, yeah. So I was, again, you know, it's sort of the luck of the draw based on who responds. Yeah, sure. But that but was, you had a big pool of was, people. So, I mean, you have yeah. you have good responses. But in the field doesn't necessarily mean at that job, though, right, Molly? That's true. It's, yeah. it's uh, we we can't say that they were we can't say that they were reporting only, you know, their current employer right, in their right. experience base. Yep. Right. Yep. That's that's a good point. Yeah. Too. But still, yeah. the, you're you're looking at people that have a good body of work experience on something like this, and I'm I'm really blown away by that eight percent number. I mean, that's really low. Yeah, I was very pleased um, that that we had you know seasoned perspectives. You know, um, one of our one of our panelists, I mentioned that we did a panel about this earlier, and um, one of her quotes that I thought was was so spot on. She said, it's Christy Hartzell who's with the Truth Initiative. And she said, 
this study validates what we all believed, but now we have the data to bring to our stakeholders and have a conversation based not on emotion, but through a scientific lens. Mm. And mm. I, I really think that's, that's a key point to the listeners about, um, you know, why this research is so important because it does help to have a baseline. Uh, all have, you know, an experience and a gut feel about what we think is happening mm -hmm. and what we think the reasons are. It's nice to have documentation across 50 organizations instead of just your own mm -hmm. as to what these dynamics are like. Mm -hmm. No, and I think that's where, you know, so much so often, you know, people are asking, and I think smartly so, where is the data? Like, you know, we have a lot of anecdotal evidence. We have a lot of experiences and stuff like that. But where we can collect the data? And, I mean, that's what's so awesome about this. And I think our listeners, and, of course, we're going to put the, the you know, the the research in uh, the show notes, folks, so you, you can access this. I mean, this is a really detailed report. I mean, I think it's almost, what is it? It's almost 40, it's 40-plus 40 pages long, Molly. Yeah, I know. Don't frighten anybody. We also have a two-page summary <laughs> of results. Yeah, I mean, it is. It was, it was a very large subject. It was really hard to wrap our hands around it all. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's a there's a lot of good data there. You know, I was saying how, you know, Christy had remarked that this validates a lot of what we believe, mm -hmm. but I wanted I thought your listeners might be interested in hearing some of the things that were surprises. Um, That's that what I was found. just going to ask you. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, there were a couple of like, you've got to be kidding me in there. And the first hmm. one is, you know, when we asked, I told you that we asked about level of satisfaction and then we cross tabulated it across, you know, different factors. So when you look at the respondents' level of satisfaction and then you cross tab it, if they work for an organization that is, you know, hundreds of independent 501c3s that, you know, are all under their own charters, which is, you know, the old traditional um, way that the national headquarters and chapter dynamic is, you know, is organized. And then the other thing we asked is, you know, how many of you are working for one organization that is operating consistently under one 501c3? Mm -hmm. And the assumption is that, oh, well, we're going to get rid of our chapters. We're all going to become one organization and, you know, that will fix it. Then we'll all have one voice, one, our budget will all roll up under one, you know, header. And so it will take care of this issue that we have with national and local. Mm -hmm. And what shocked me is that there were equal levels of satisfaction, whether you worked at a 501c3 that are independent or mm -hmm. at one that is all combined. Hmm. It, it hmm. didn't change satisfaction at all. And um, I just, I, I find that so surprising because there are so many nonprofit organizations that I'm either, um, that I'm aware of in the space, let's just say it that way, not necessarily clients of ours, but folks that I'm aware of who are going to their boards and, and, you know, uh, advocating for being all under one charter. And, mm -hmm. of course, this is just one piece of a much bigger pu puzzle, but mm -hmm. that particular, um, 
you know, organizational uh, answer isn't going to solve the mm-hmm. dynamic between headquarters and chapters. And I just found that very interesting. It really, you know, you've got to communicate. It all comes down to uh, making sure that 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 your you know your affiliates are clear on the guidelines and the policies, and that they that you're providing them the training and education that that they're seeking. Mm-hmm. Was there anything, Molly, at the Nonprofit Leadership Summit that you led at Engage for Good that when you presented this research and through your panel discussion that participants said, oh, wow, that really resonates for us, like one over another? Or was it pretty, were they just in agreement with things across the board that you had discovered? You know, a lot of our discussion focused, we kind of broke down these same headlines into deeper discussion. So there was, there was a lot of good sharing. Like I remember, I remember very clearly, and this was, you know, a month ago now, um, but I remember one of the respondents saying, if I hear about another task force, <laughs> I'm going to pull all my hair out. <laughs> you know, nonprofit organizations are famous for putting a task force on it, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have task force to plan our task forces. So, um, Well, that's a problem, right, Molly? You have task force and it doesn't go anywhere. And that's why people get frustrated with them. If the task force actually did what they're supposed to do, people would feel invigorated. Exactly. Right. You know, there, there was also... Uh, Something again, just a, a nugget of information that has application across the broader topic, not just the national local dynamic, but the overall topic. And so we've been talking about about this for years at Engage for Good and in other and other forums that you know it's not about transactional relationship. You know that our partnerships need to be multifaceted, and we need to move into you know ways that we can work with partners on multiple fronts so that the partnership has more stickiness and that they want to stay engaged and that sort of thing. And I was really, really pleased to see that when we did this, um, 54% of the respondents said that they have more than one activity that is the focus of the sponsorship. And the median was uh, 3.3 activities. So they're doing a much better job um, this research shows a much more robust uh, snapshot than than I've been exposed to before when when looking at you know multiple activation factors. So that was really really good news. It must be all of your counseling, Molly. <laughs> well, gosh, I wish they were all my clients. But <laughs> I don't know whether you should be advising. I don't know whether you should be advising field offices or or marriages, Molly. All these different things. I think I'm going to ask Debbie tonight if we can form a task force. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you let us know what she says, Joe. Training, Joe. That's, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I like the democracy of what you're saying, though. I'm involved in so many dictatorships. That's right. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, That's right. Molly, this there's so much great information here. I feel like we could talk about this for two hours. But where can people find this survey, these survey results online, and find you online if they'd like to do that? Well, thank you for that. Yeah. So. For Momentum is uh, the agency we have. We have obviously an agency website. I just want to spell that. It's F-O-R, for F-O-R, and then Momentum. Um, and then we have a tab that is called Cause Marketing Resources. Mm-hmm. And there you will find th- this research as well as many other tools and yeah. resources that we provide uh, to the to the cause community. Mm-hmm. Um 
So I, I hope that the listeners will have a chance. And if, if I just wanted to also mention that if the listeners are interested in a podcast approach to sharing information, our previous refer, uh, research studies have been covered um, in previous episodes. So in episode 169, we shared information about the sales cycle dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, and how long it takes to secure partnerships. And in episode 126, we covered our 2015 research, which was all about what corporate partners really want to see in corporate partnership and what do they want to see in the proposal and what sort of factors are influencing their decisions. So um, for those podcast fans out there, you know, I'm giving a shout out to those couple of episodes. Molly is the Excellent. best guest ever, Megan. She is. She did she all is. of our work She for really us. does. It really, you really do your homework. We will put all of those in the show notes. Thank you for doing our work for us, Molly. Joe, where can people find you online if they'd like to do that? Uh, People can find me Minute to Minute on Twitter uh, at Joe Waters. People can also visit Selfish Giving. Make sure to uh, sign up for my email newsletter. Get my five-day mini course on cause marketing. Of course, check all those pins out on Pinterest. Pinterest.com front slash Joe Waters. What about you, Megan? Where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter at Megan Strand, and I tweet for Engage for Good at Engage for Good, which is also where you can find show notes for today's episode, engageforgood.com, as well as selfishgiving.com. And on behalf of Molly and Joe and myself, I'd like to thank you so, so much for joining us for this episode of Cause Talk Radio, and we will talk to you next time. 